Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hey there, Synergizers, and welcome back to another episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco, and today on the show, we have the inspiring Gaddick Chajur. Gaddick is the co-founder of the global and award-winning leadership development firm, Transform Me. He's a passionate facilitator, coach, and keynote speaker with 20 years of training and coaching experience, and his own journey is a story worth listening to. Gaddick is driven by his mission to transform a million lives, and his uniqueness lies in his innate ability to connect, spontaneously share, and be mindfully present and bring humor to learning. Gaddick is not just a brilliant storyteller, but a highly sought-after storytelling coach for speakers, leaders, and marketers of the world in leading organizations such as Google, Adobe, EY, McKinsey, and many, many more. His expertise lies in the art of leadership development, coaching and mentoring, leadership team synergy, storytelling, and influencing without authority. A completely family-orientated man, Gaddick enjoys spending his time with his beautiful daughters, Keisha and Kyra, and his wife, Sandra. On today's show, Gaddick and I deep-dived into his journey into becoming a world-class facilitator and coach. He then shared with us his many experiences of starting a very successful business in India to picking up the family and moving to Australia in the quest to grow the business globally. Being the masterful storyteller that he is, Gaddick actually told us a story on how to tell a good story. It was like poetry in motion. We also talked about all the aspects that make a good story and what actually keeps people glued. And Gaddick was kind enough to share some tips and tricks on how to become a better storyteller and communicate with influence. We also touched on his superpower of listening and observing and his thoughts on self-awareness when leading people and the importance of being present in the moment. Gaddick also empowered us all to challenge our own beliefs and he provides a great platform and starting point for those who are looking to transform and grow. It was an absolute pleasure talking with Gaddick and I know you're absolutely going to love this chat. If you would like to check out his profile, then you can find it at Gaddick Kajur on LinkedIn, which is G-A-T-I-K-C-H-A-U-G-E-R on LinkedIn. And then check out his company page as well, Transform Me. Feel free to connect with me too, where you can find me, Daniel Franco on LinkedIn or Synergy IQ on LinkedIn. If you'd like to learn more about some of the other amazing leaders that we've had on the Creating Synergy podcast, then be sure to jump on our website at synergyiq.com.au or check us out at the Creating Synergy podcast on all the podcast outlets. Cheers. So welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco and today we have Gaddick Georgia on the show, the co-founder of Transform Me. You got that uh, last name bit right. I got it right. Thank you so much for that. It's taking me 10 goes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's something about that. A-U, A-U in your name that I makes know. me go ow yeah. as, as opposed to the or. As yeah. long as you don't remember me with the ow, I'm good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me over. Expert in all things leadership, storytelling, transformation. You've done TEDx talks. You run your own business. Got a large, large following both here in Australia and overseas. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and you know, how did you – 
how did you become a master in all these things and, and how did you find yourself here in, in South Australia? Okay, don't start off with the performance anxiety right <laughs> off. Uh, not a master for sure, but um, um, I love this, Daniel. I, I, first off, I don't see myself doing anything else oh, ever. Brilliant. Ever. Um, Why? I've asked myself that question a few times and it, it, I've got a few answers to that, but it really boils down to my dad. Mm. It always, I, I see a lot of threads going here and there, but it just kind of narrows down to my dad and my initial years with him. So my dad was a pilot in the Indian Air Force. Mm -hmm. And um, apart from that, he was just a phenomenal human being. Mm. Um, and I talk about him a lot in my workshops and in my talks and... Uh, one of the qualities of his that I guess rubbed off on me at an early age, which I realize now, is he was this person who always wanted to help. Mm. Always. You know, he'd see a stranger on the road, he'd want to help him or her. Uh, we'd be invited to parties, right? And uh, because he was in the Air Force and there were a lot of parties happening, right? And um, he would insist that we be one of the first few people to arrive at the party and get ready first, which my mom would get quite pissed off about. But, <laughs> but the reason he wanted to do that, Daniel, is because he wanted to get there and help out the hosts yeah. in setting up the place. Can you believe that? Yeah. And he would make us do that too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess the reason I do what I do is I've just had this need, um, this desire to help people. Mm. And uh, 22 years back, I discovered training uh, quite by accident, which is another story. And I discovered that that can be my vehicle to help people, to enable them. And uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for 22 years. And when I set up Transform Me with Sandra 10 years back, it was the same intention to to help bring about transformation in mm. people. So yeah, yeah. So so tell us your story then, you know, and we'll get to, because I want to unpack what it means to help people. Yeah. But your story on on your growth and, and, and learning in this space and, and how you became, you know, a mentor to many, uh, yeah. a coach to many. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 been, uh, it's been a linear progression, honestly. Mm. It's, if you ask me, what have you done last 22 years, Daniel, if you ask me that question of since you started working, I have just done this. Mm. I really haven't done anything else. Just right? jump straight into it. I, and yeah, I mean, this is the only thing that I know to do. Mm. Uh, I set up my business 10 years back and I honestly, I struggled with doing bits of that. And Sandra does a lot more of that than I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned to do it now, but this is really all that I've done. So when I say it's been a linear progression, I started off as um, I got, I honestly got lucky. 22 years back when I was working with a technology company back in India. And, you know, 20 years back what the situation was like in India with the tech boom and all yeah. of that. Yeah. So I was in the right place at the right time. There was mm -hmm. a lot of growth opportunities and uh, they needed trainers. And uh, this company I was working with, um, you know, opened up an internal position for a trainer and about 60 of me and my friends applied for it. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Sandra, my wife, and now the co-founder, she also applied. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so she she applied, and she never lets me forget that 
even today, that if she hadn't withdrawn her application 22 years back, I would not have become a trainer. <laughs> yeah, wow. Because she did withdraw her application because, um, you know, we applied for that position and uh, Sandra was a little scared about the person who was going to interview us for that position yeah. and she withdrew. And uh, I hadn't applied at that time. There were 60 people and I was this, this I was literally the shy kid who had this huge... Um, inferiority complex, mm. right? Because uh, always compared myself to my siblings, to my cousins, and all of them were academically brilliant. Mm. And I was, you know, I would just scrape through my classes, right? I would just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't tell my daughters that. No. I, I tell them a different story the, about how I great I was yeah. at math. <laughs> yeah, but the, our kids now think we're the smartest people in the world. Thank God if for If only that, they right? knew. Yeah. <laughs> till they are about, my younger one's 10, so she still thinks I can be Superman. Yeah. But my elder one, who's 16, Knows pretty much everything. Yeah, you got two girls. I've got two. Yeah, so do I. My oldest is ten, and eight is my youngest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's beautiful. I I, I feel I'm blessed to have uh, Mm. girls. Not that I have anything against boys, but that's just the way it is. So yeah, so became a trainer back then. Um, Again, Sandra is the one who encouraged me to put that position, put that application in. Sixty people applied. Became a trainer. Didn't know anything about training really, and. uh, very quickly realized that I was at the bottom of the barrel amongst mm. all the brilliant trainers in that company. This is 22 years back, yeah. 21 years back. And um, I think what I did then, because sometimes when in the flow of things, you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. It's only years later that you realize, oh, okay, I did that because of this. Yeah. And because I'm the behavioral learning space, I'm, I'm able to connect the dots. At least I think I am. So I realize now that what I did back then is perhaps... Uh, say to myself somewhere that, you know, there's so many great trainers and speakers and coaches that I'm now a part of this kind of great group. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know most of them are born with it mm-hmm. because they're naturally good speakers, yeah. naturally good at uh, inspiring, motivating. And I'm not, naturally. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if I said to myself 21 years back, so what, if I'm not good at it, I will, I will learn how to be good at it. Mm-hmm. I will figure out the science behind it, right? And I think that's what I've done really over over these last two decades. Just just adding on, just learning more. I many, many years of training later, I got into T group, uh, which is uh, small group process work, learned Gestalt, uh, with Sandra, German form of psychotherapy, uh, neuroscience, life coaching, um, bunch of stuff that helps me do what I do. Yeah, yeah. wow. So it's just been linear in, in that adding time. on to that constantly, constantly, every year doing something. Yeah. And and the move to Australia, tell us about <laughs> what brought that on. Um, so there's a funny story. Yeah. And there's the real story, right? Um, Let's go hybrid option. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when, when my wife is not around, I, I tell people that the funny story is the real story. <laughs> but um, because she may be listening into this. So... Um, <laughs> So here's version one, yeah. all right? <laughs> Partly true, all right? I, I exaggerate a bit. But um, so I met Sandra, like I told you about, you know, as long as I've been working, yeah. 22 years back, we yeah. started working together. And uh, we hit it off and we were dating that time. And uh, I became a trainer and Sandra got deployed on a very interesting project where she was sent to Australia 
So we were back in India mm-hmm. 22, 21 years back. And she was sent to Australia for six months mm-hmm. on a project. And she was in Melbourne. And that's the first time she had traveled outside of India. And, um, you know, she was in Melbourne for six months. She came back and we were dating. So we used to talk and everything yeah. while she was here. And the first thing that hit me is that bloody time zones don't match at all between yeah. India and Australia. I was like, oh, what's happening? But um, she came back six months later and she was so happy. And uh, we went out for our first dinner and uh, we had already started talking about a long-term relationship and perhaps getting married and stuff. We'd, we'd, we'd kind of started yeah. talking about it. And she literally looked at me and said, if you want to marry me, then, uh, you know, you got to get me to Australia. Because yeah. that's the place I want to be. Yeah, wow. So the funny thing is I tell people that it took me 20 years to fulfill that promise for her <laughs> <laughs> since we moved just three years back. And that she put a gun to my head saying that I'll only marry you if you get me to Australia. Yeah. She didn't do any of that. She did. She did, she yeah. Did. But, um, so yeah, so that was it. And when she came back uh, and, and we had this conversation, she said, look, it's, it's, it's a beautiful country. We've got to. It's so nice. And, you know, I love the people there. I love the culture there. And... Uh, Let's move. So we actually put on our papers and everything that time, Hmm. you know, about 20 years back. And uh, we've got family in Perth uh, who were supporting us with some sponsorship papers. And we we actually got our visa. So we were pretty much ready to move to Australia 20 years back. And that's when my dad, and I've spoken to you about how much my dad has meant to me in my life. Uh, He passed away about 12 years back. But that's when, when we got our visa, my father was diagnosed with uh, advanced Parkinson's. Mm. And um, he was, I mean, he, his, his situation was deteriorating pretty fast. And um, so, you know, Sandra and I, we just made the decision. We said, look, you know, got to be first. with him. Yeah, we got to be with him and family first always. And uh, so we just dropped that plan. I think about four years, five years after that, six years after that, dad passed away. Um, but we had gotten busy with life. We were, you know, building our careers. We were, we bought a house. We had kids. So this Australia plan went on the back burner. Yeah. Till about um, five years back, we made a trip down here, not exactly to Australia, but we went to New Zealand. And I had traveled a fair bit, uh, US, Europe. Dubai, a lot of different places, but I'd never been this part of the world. Mm. Five years back, Sandra's uh, cousin was getting married in New Zealand. I went there and just I just fell in love with this part of the world. Right? Mm. I know for the Aussies listening in, they're like, all right, you're really comparing us to people <laughs> across the ditch. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah. The, the weather, the place, the feel, the nature, everything. And, and, you know, that just triggered that conversation back. And that was really the trigger for us to move to Australia. Yeah. So about four years ago, yeah, yeah, gonna be gonna be four years this November, this December. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Have you ever looked back and thought it was the wrong decision? Oh no, not at all. Mm. Not at all. Not at all. I think it has been uh, one of the few, not one of the few, one of the many right decisions that Sandra and I have taken together. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. How did I? I always. Um, you know, Gabriella has come from Brazil. Yeah, a few other, with her, a few yeah. other uh, people in our team have also, you know, moved over here and bought, picked up and bought the partners or families or what have you. I've, I've always 
seen it as such a gutsy move like, and especially to bring you know two two children over you know what'd you say 16 and 10 what are they 12 and 8 at the time or yeah 12 and 6 at the time sorry it's uh it's life-changing for them too how, how did you go about that in your thought process and that's 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 actually i i love that question because it you know for us um you're right it was it was a big risk mm. Uh, not just in the dimensions that you spoke about, Daniel, in terms of the family and the kids. Um, the kids' angle was actually actually not that big of a mm. problem for us because uh, Sandra and I both have been brought up in a very uh, in a manner that has made us resilient, mm. I reckon. And for us, uh, getting our kids to go through change and not getting in their comfort zone has yeah. been a part of the way we bring them up. So that's not been the big risk, but. The big risk for us was we moved when we were 40, mm. right? Um, and often people don't start a new life in that sense at that age, number one. Number two, we Isn't left. there a saying life begins at 40? <laughs> I love you for that, man. I love you for that. Uh, I think mine is going to begin at 50, <laughs> right? But um, I think the bigger thing for us is that Transform Me has been our shared passion, our shared mission for mm. Sandra and me and, um, you know, uh, Transforming has grown beautifully. We have 150 uh, clients globally and we work with some of the best names in the world. And when we decided to move to Australia four years back, we'd been in business for about six, seven years and Transforming was doing brilliant in India. It mm. still is, but that time we were at the peak. Mm. And when we told people that, you know, we want to move to we're Australia, up, yeah. Like, what do you mean? What's going to happen to Transform Me? Nothing's going to happen to Transform Me. We've got a very capable team in India. We've got partners in India. They're going to continue. We're going to keep adding. I said, but you're going to move. What are you going to do in Australia? We said, we're going to be setting up Transform Me in Australia. They said, you've got to be kidding us. Your business has never looked better. Mm. And you want to leave that and you want to start a, the business again in a country which you have no idea about, which is Australia. I mean, if you said the U.S. and stuff, I'd still understand because you work there mm. and you understand that market and you're leaving this, it's not going to work. So Sandra and I actually, we've been blessed. We've got a lot of mentors and we speak to people to get their ideas. And we spoke to a lot of people. Everybody, Daniel, that we spoke to advised us against the move. Mm. Every single person we met. Mm. And these are some really amazing minds and brilliant leaders mm. I'm talking about and I have huge respect for them. Yeah. They said, it's not going to work. What was you, their reasoning? Um, you're leaving your business at its peak. Mm. It's all going to come crashing down. Mm. Number one. Number two, setting up a business in Australia and expecting it to do the way it was doing in India, not going to happen. Yeah. You know, Australia is a different market. Mm. And some people even told me ridiculous things like, which are stereotypes that we have. All of us have those. And we talk about that in our unconscious bias workshops as well. People said that, you know, if you're, setting, if you're an Indian setting up an IT company in Australia, that is understandable. <laughs> but you're an Indian running a, a leadership training and coaching company. You've yeah. got to be kidding me. It's funny because Australia is notoriously a racist country, right? Uh, yeah. You know, um, I don't know how much you know about India, but... The diversity in India is so huge, Daniel, that mm. if I move from Delhi to Chennai, everything changes for me from now to south, from language yeah, wow. to weather to food. 
to the way we look, to the way we talk, to the way we live, to the clothes we wear, um, to the way we manage family, everything changes. So mm. for me, when I move from Delhi to Chennai, if I take a three-hour flight for a workshop, it's not very different from going to another country. And what I mean by that is that uh, racism or, or bias, I wouldn't even call it racism, I'd call it bias perhaps. Biases exist everywhere. I mean, I'd be lying if I said that we didn't have bias in India where we talk about, you know, you guys talk about Melbourne versus Sydney, right? We, yeah. we have the same thing happening with Delhi versus Mumbai, right? Yeah. And um, we call each other things which can be quite derogatory, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that in this podcast, <laughs> right? Because, and, and there's name calling and this, but I guess that happens everywhere. Um, sure, maybe Australia has that too. Um, uh, but uh, coming back to what I was saying, for us, the thing was we've always taken risks and always... Um, done what we believed is right. Uh, and when I say we, I mean Sandra and I. And we've, When we set up Transforming, a lot of people give us the same advice that it's not going to work, mm. and yada, yada, yada. Well, we, we, we said, all right, we heard you, but we're going to do what we need to do. And mm. we've, we've got that belief. And look, we train and coach people about getting out of their comfort zone. Yeah. If we didn't do that then, then what's the point? That's right. We're living a lie. Well, you, you can't... Oh. There are other people's fears that they're, you know, it's their fear that they're putting onto you. So, sometimes it's that, but I, 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 wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't just take that because sometimes for some of them, it was also their genuine care and concern mm. about us. It, yeah. it wasn't just their fear. So they said it in the right intention because mm. they would have wanted the best for us, right? Mm. So they had, they had a lot of care, love, concern for us when they said it. Uh, because one of the advices that one of my leaders gave me once, and I, and I love that, and I hold that to my heart, was when you need to take a decision, speak to people. When you need to take a big decision, yeah. speak to people, get opinions, listen to everyone, but do what you need to do. Yeah. Right? Form um, your own opinion. Or, or yes, just, 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 it's, it's helpful to get opinions from people, yeah. but don't let that, sometimes we let that overshadow that inner voice of ours. You know, um, and there's so much value in that inner voice, that instinct, that yeah. gut. The gut feel. Um, and yeah, so. I'm a huge believer in that as well. I, yeah. If I'm trying to make a decision, I'll ask 20 different people and it'll be from all walks of life. You know, people with super experience, people with no, not so much experience, but yeah. I know their gut, like they're strong at going with their gut, you know, and all, all the above. And it, yeah. And you formulate your own. True. But uh, you always end up where you kind of thought originally, I feel. Like, you know, had this desire that you were going to move to Australia. You go ask 20 people, you come back, you still move to Australia. Like it, you kind of still, because your gut feeling is that That's kind it. Of, That's it. Yeah. That's it. And not just that. I mean, we, we moved and within the first three months we had, yeah, we had things started to work for us. So, yeah, knock on wood. Well, you knew the, know the formula of business, right? What's that? You know the formula of business. Business is if, if to its absolute most basic, you know, there, there's an element of hustle. Yeah. There's an element of marketing. There's sales. There's fine. You know the basic fundamentals. If you can pick that up and you can almost make it work anywhere, right? Yeah, and I think that… If you've the, got a quality product. I, I agree. And I think the, the thing is are you, are you willing to… I think for me the biggest lesson in that, Daniel, has been are you willing to put yourself out of your own comfort zone? Mm with the intent to evolve and transform again and again and again. Can mm. you do that? Well, growth is in the uncomfortable moments. 100% is. 
your oh, your story is amazing, right? And the story of you moving you. moving to in Australia and, and and taking that punt. When did and and the way you tell your stories, like I'm hanging off every word, which is brilliant. So and I know you're um, you're an expert in storytelling. So I'm really interested in unpacking your thoughts around because as you would work with a lot of leaders, yeah. we work with a lot of leaders. The people listening in are generally at that sort of leader level um, yeah. in business who are looking to grow themselves personally and their development skills and behavioural skills. And I know for a fact that communication and influence is a critical aspect to leadership. I want to learn a little bit more about your approach to storytelling and communicating with influence. Mm. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to just unpack that world if yeah. you don't mind. Yeah, no, of course. So what in your opinion makes a good story? You know, the, the space that I'm in, Daniel, is about enabling people to understand the impact they have on others, right? And that's what leadership is. Mm -hmm. Storytelling is one of the vehicles to do that. Correct. Right. To understand the impact I could have on others in the way I could inspire them, engage with them, influence them. Um, what is a good story? Um, what makes a good story? What what's makes the, a good story? What's the, yeah, what's yeah. the fundamentals of a story? Yeah. And I kind of see a story as communicating with influence, right? When you tell a story, you want the person to feel something. You right. want them to... Uh, be moved emotionally or right. you want them to to think about what you've just told them mm. and take it away mm. and you want them to I want you know you want them to to to, to bubble away in their you know psyche almost is this story you know and and we all know and, you know we're big readers you know everyone you read a great story and that book books and stories can affect you and not to mention that stories over time have lasted through you know hand in, hand in, being handed down from generation and generation and so there's something in that yeah what do you think in your opinion makes the fundamental characteristics of a story so look the storytelling work that i do and, I, and i've coached hundreds and thousands of leaders and people uh, globally on it but the work that i do on storytelling daniel is really around business storytelling mm. um but it's a lot about personal narratives yeah. and getting that emotional anchor and motivating inspiring engaging let me explain it to you by sharing a short story right maybe that's the best way to do it Perfect. so on my <laughs> on my um birthday on, on my on my first birthday that we celebrated here in australia my wife gifted to me the best gift ever I always wanted to be a pilot because my dad was a pilot, yeah. but I got these glasses so I couldn't. Okay. So she gifted me my first flying lesson, Great. right? So uh, we drove down um, and uh, one of these airports and, you know, I had the flying instructor 
and he briefed me. It was a one-hour briefing, and then we sat in a two-seater plane, and the first time I'm about to be flying a plane, Daniel, I was super kicked about it, right? Yeah. I even wore my Tom Cruise kind aviators, you know, <laughs> trying to look the part and all of that. I had the Maverick jacket on. Oh, yes. I, I wish I had something like that with all the patches. I'm looking forward to that movie, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's coming so, out soon. Yeah, so we get on the plane, and uh, he obviously has the yoke, and he's told me all the controls, and he takes off. And when we're in the middle of the air, he hands me the control. He said, you've got control. I said, I've got control. And he hands me over the yoke. And he told me, you're on bank left, and bank left, bank right, and you pull back, it goes up, down, it goes down. It was super easy, mm. right? And I got a little cocky and a little overconfident. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is fun. This is so simple. But he let me do that for five minutes. And then when it was time to land, he said, all right, I've got control. And he took controls and he landed the plane. And I thought to myself that I did a brilliant job, <laughs> right? So I step out of the plane and, I, and I've got that smug look on my face. And I, and I look at the pilot and, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, my dad was a pilot, so I'm... I'm, I'm Born to it's, do this. It's, in, yeah. it's in my genes. It's yeah. in my genes, right? I'm better than others. Yeah. So I look at him and I say, you know, so how did I do? And he goes, oh, you did well. I said, okay. So I look at him and I actually ask this question. You know, silly me. I look at him and I go, so how long do you think it's going to take me, boss, to learn how to fly a plane? He said the same: thirty hours for the basic and then sixty hours. So, yeah, no, no, I get that. That's the standard. But how do you long do you think it would take me? <laughs> this is a bit of a head so, wobble over there. Yeah. <laughs> so he looked at me and he said, um, he said, son, it's going to take you about the same time that it takes anybody else. But let me tell you, um, it's hell of a lot different and difficult. You're going to take a lot longer to learn how to land a plane than you're going to learn how to fly a plane. Mm. What you did there for five minutes is not flying a plane. Yeah. Landing the plane is the most critical thing. It's the art. And the reason I share that is because in storytelling, it's never about the story. Mm. It is actually never about the story. It's about how you land the story at the key message. Mm. That's what makes a good story. When I coach people who say that they're naturally good storytellers, and some of them are, what they're often doing is pop storytelling. Pop storytelling is fulfilling their desire to tell a story. Mm. I want to inspire you. I want to tell you this. I want to be a good speaker. And they will tell a story for the sake of telling a story, which is entertaining. Yeah. Perhaps. But the point is, does it land at the key message? Because when you've got to inspire and influence people as a leader, you've got to know what your key message is. You've got to know where you want to land that plane. Because if you're just flying the plane in circles and not landing it anywhere, that's pub storytelling. You're just mm. talking in circles, rambling away to glory, and people are looking at you and saying, what the hell is this person talking about? Mm. So to me, what makes a great story is learning how to land the story at the key message. So my workshops, the work that we do, me and my team, we focus a lot of emphasis on getting the key message right, which means knowing your runway mm. before you even take off. So yeah. Mm. You landed that pretty well. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if you, so if we're to unpack your story, then, right mm -hmm. about the pilot. Yeah. You start off. Um, you know, you, you, your descriptions are so clear. I can see the moment in my head. So there, for me, there is some element to the story that has to be quality, right? 
Because you could have just said, I just jumped in the plane and learned to fly. But you, you gave the backstory. It's something that I've always wanted to do. This is uh, my wife bought it for me. I was so excited. My dad's a pilot. Like there's so much in that yeah. that I think is the skill set. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Then, you know, then you, you, know, you added a little bit of humor into the story about, you know, you know how did I do? And then the landing and, and then you have and, – and so – like you've built it to this point and then you've just smooth, you know, there was this beautiful smooth landing at the end. And, and so where does that skill come from and is that a learned skill? And do you um, – so if you were giving advice to a leader who was about to give a strategy session to his team, like what would – how would you say to prepare in your storytelling or even just communication if you just want to call, call it that? to yeah. your team in a moment yeah so you've asked me a couple of questions let me let me attempt to share my views on that so no, number one it's a it's a it's a learned skill mm. daniel i um if you listen to my ted talk also i talk about how i was this shy unsure underconfident kid who was petrified of public speaking so mm -hmm. storytelling does not come naturally to me um i've learned it i've learned the science of it which is why i reckon i'm able to coach people on the science mm. of it because there is a method to it. You're right. There, there are eight elements of telling a good mm. story, right? And I, the work that I do is based on the two pillars of storytelling, which is what I call telling the right story mm -hmm. and telling the story right. Yeah. What you're talking about is telling the story right. Mm -hmm. How do you deliver that story? How do you insert that visual? How do you get the characters' names? How do you add that humor and stuff yeah. like that? Um, so yeah, the elements, the characteristics to stories, absolutely. And for... Um, for anybody um, uh, listening to this who may want to use a story um, in your next talk or conversation or meeting or presentation, a um, couple of things I would perhaps say. Number one, get clarity on your key message first. Mm. What do you want to land on, right? Mm. I was once coaching somebody who said that, you know, my key message is I want to tell people that 40% of advertising spend is happening digitally and therefore you must too. I'm like, that's too transactional. So here's the other tip. The key message should not be transactional. Mm. Because the transactional stuff you're going to talk about later, your story that lands at the key message, that bit has got to be inspiring. It's got to be emotional anchor to it. They've got, it's got to move people from within, mm. right? So get your key message right. Don't make it transactional, right? It's got to be a poetic statement almost. Mm. And that in itself is a process that, that needs to be learned. And once you have that, Try and find an incident from your own life that relates to it. Mm. So let's say you want to tell your people that, you know, you've got to take risks. Let's say that's your message, right? Now, the key message can't be you've got to take risks. That's too simple, right? As you un unfold the layers of your team and you understand that my team is not taking risks because they, um, they're afraid of making mistakes and, you know, afraid of being reprimanded and, so you get that context and you reframe that statement to say that, you know, when you don't take risks, you stop growing. Now, that may still sound simplistic, but that you've got something of a key message there. Now, let's say you want to land that if you don't take risks, you stop growing. Now, mm. that's your runway. Mm. Now you go back, reverse engineer and say, is there a situation from my life where I did not take a risk and I stopped growing? Mm. or the opposite of that, where I took a risk and I grew. Yeah. 
or another angle. Now, these are eight patterns that I'm talking to you really quickly about. Or you know, I don't want to tell my story because I don't want to sound too pompous. So do I know somebody else who took a risk yeah. and, and grew or did not take a risk? And I start my story by saying, hey, you know what? My friend Jack, he used to work here and he did this. And I add those eight elements of visuals and he was having a cup of coffee and then he decided he's going to do that. But he didn't because he was afraid of making a mistake and he didn't take that risk. And what happened is that, you know, Adam did this and he went there. And at the end of the day, Jack lost out in life because he didn't take a risk. Now I'm landing the plane and he stopped growing. Now you transition to your main message and say, hey, the reason I'm sharing this with all of you folks is I don't want you to become like Jack. Mm. Right. You position it in, in That's it. And now here, now look at my slides and let me share with you five things that you can do to take risks. So now you get transactional with them. So, you know, I'm giving you in a nutshell what I usually do in five to six hours. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I hope that answers your question to some yeah, extent. Yeah, I have no doubt that the this listeners. is uh, an iterative process in its own right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's not something that, that people listening to this podcast, I think what uh, I think what I'm trying to really gauge from this conversation is that there, it is an art. It is. And, uh, and you know, get in contact with you if they uh, if they want to learn more or, or go and do their own research. Right? Of course. I know Joseph Campbell's book, right, The Heroes. Oh, Journey, I love that. Like, I love you know, one of the best books ever. So um, I want to talk to you about the – because you mentioned telling the right story was the other pillar. So telling the story right and then telling the right story. I think you're, you're 100% right. I can't go to my kids and give them a World War II example, right? Like, so it's about telling the right story to the right audience. What if, um, what if the audience um, isn't at a point where the story that you're trying to portray will land? What if the listeners aren't able to understand because they're not at that level? Do you change the narrative of the story? Or like, you know, do you pick a different story with the same message? Do you have to have three in the, as backup, do you know what I mean, that you would use based on the level of audience that you're speaking to? So if you're speaking to a psychologist, it's one story. If you're speaking to a group of kids, it's a different story, yeah? Do you, but essentially the same message? No, absolutely right. I, you know, look, Daniel, I'm going to start off by saying this, that um, and I get this question a lot. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that everybody likes a story. And I know this is going to be a controversial statement because I'm sure there are people listening to this who are going, yeah, no, but there's some people who are just left brain and analytical who just want that data. and They're not going to want stories. Mm. They're right, but they're also wrong because even analytical people like analytical stories. Yeah. So um, the first thing to know is that everybody likes stories and there's enough and more research that's done. In fact, Carnegie Mellon did a research in 2007 talking about how stories influence people 114% more than data. Yes, wow. You know, that's a big, big, big number, right? But so what that means is you kind of answer the question, the story's got to be relevant to the audience. And when a story doesn't land, it is never, I mean, I, I never say that, you know, the listeners were not ready for the story. No. I, the storyteller, did not make the story relevant mm. for that listener. A story can be 30 seconds, a story can be 30 minutes. Mm. A story can have a lot of emotion, a story can have no emotion. Mm. A story can have a lot of data, a story can have no data. Yeah. So telling the right story is A, about relevance, but it's also about eight patterns that I have learned by researching the works of a gentleman called Stephen Denning, 
who's considered to be the world's foremost thought leader in the space of uh, narrative intelligence. Stephen Denning. Stephen Denning. Stephen Denning. Great. We'll and, put that uh, in the show notes. There's a brilliant book of his called A Leader's Guide to Storytelling. Mm. Um, it's it's a biggish, slightly more academic book, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And um, a lot of research that he's done about the eight patterns, and uh, I I I I've I've taken inspiration for that from that in the way we look at the way stories are told or the different kinds of stories. Yeah. Can you give us a quick rundown on those patterns, or is it too? Is it will it be too long to deep dive into? No, I, I could, and this is all Stephen Denning's work. I have to give him credit for that. So, for example, there's a pattern called the "Who Am I" pattern. Yeah. Right. The "Who Am I" pattern is about how do you introduce yourself using a story. You know, let's say you're a leader. You're meeting up a new stakeholder for lunch, right? Or you're meeting up your team. Uh, very often, many of us introduce ourselves by simply rattling off our resume. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I use a story to introduce myself? So that's who am I? Then there's a pattern called sharing knowledge. How do you share knowledge through a story? Those are usually stories of failure. Uh, then there's a pattern called springboard story, which I really love, which is about inspiring people by events that have happened in the past with you or with somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's a pattern to tame the grapevine. There's a pattern to foster collaboration. There's a pattern to transmit values. Uh, what am I missing? There's a pattern to lead people into the future, which is what I call the just imagine stories. Mm. So I think I shared six or seven out of those eight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. I want to dive into every single one of those. <laughs> I'm going to go read that book, I think. We talked about the listener and the audience on the other side. There's a there's a gentleman who you and I are quite close with. His name's Connor O'Rourke. And he, he, ah. shared, he said some nice words about you. He's going he's gonna to love that we plugged him in. <laughs> so if he's listening, I can bet you there's a big smile on his face right now. So I says, can see him. I can see him right now. <laughs> I can see him as well in the mind's eye. He never leaves. So he's also he's been on our podcast. So okay. He, and we spoke a lot about sales. And in, in sales, like storytelling is, you know, paramount to being able to influence people right yeah but sales is so much more than storytelling and connor is certainly an expert at that he absolutely is check out that podcast uh if you want to so he wrote he wrote me text because i I wrote him i flicked him a text this morning so i got got it coming on the show yeah throw some questions at me i always like to get some outsider questions in but he wrote this. He wrote, Gaddick listens in such an impressive way and it makes you feel as if you've known him forever. He appears to see around corners interpersonally with people, right? And like, that's a skill set. The ability to tell a story is one skill set, but the ability to listen yeah. is another. And, and Connor said that's one of your, your greatest strengths. I'd love to know more about that i mean look i I run a podcast it's my job to listen so but it's something that it's taken me time to learn right and i'd love to know your thoughts on it and you may not have even thought much about it no i have you uh, have honestly and i think that's a very sharp observation by connor and 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 um beautiful for him to say that um you know these are what i call my two polarities and it's taken me a while to accept these two polarities in myself because um, my biggest driver of the work that I do the transformation work the personal transformation leadership transformation team transformation work that I do has been about 
has really been about this one line that I'm going to share, which is about helping people understand how their behaviors impact others. Mm-hmm. That's the underpinning driver. Helping people understand how their behaviors impact others and uh, getting them to make changes mm-hmm. so that they can create a more positive and a better impact on others. And that's why we do a lot of this deep transformational work, which is what I call labs, which is what we've created as labs in Transform Me. And a lot of it has to do with psychodrama, gestalt, not just listening, Daniel, but observing. Mm. Um, so 22 years, not 22 years, because that we got into about 12, 14 years back. 12, 14 years of practicing these um, methodologies of learning group, gestalt, process work and stuff is really about when you're with somebody learning to complete, suspend everything else and be 100% mindfully present in receiving that person. And receiving that person is not just listening. Receiving that person is listening is also a lot of observing. Mm-hmm. Looking at how their body is shifting, where, what's happening, how they're yeah. feeling, what's likely going on. Have I done something to create that? What's happening now? And just just being absolutely aware Mm. of what's happening there while you're being absolutely aware of what's happening inside. And uh, that's the work that I really enjoy. That's the work that I really Mm. enjoy. And that's a lot of work that we do at Transform Me. And and, and this is that, that's that deep transformational work. And storytelling is this really exciting, sexy, all right, let's get our message across. But there's there's some cross connection. These are the two polarities. So for me, it's not just listening. It's lis- listening, receiving, observing. And I really enjoy that. And um, uh, mm. our work actually depends on it. So, yeah. 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 It, is it an, uh, an acquired learning to... Because it's a, what, what I'm hearing is emotional intelligence, yeah? It's the ability to it be is. able to read the room. It is. Understand the situation. Yeah. Is, is that an acquired or is it something that you think you're born naturally with? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, I think there's some people who are definitely more tuned to themselves. Mm. Um, it Yes, it is emotional intelligence in many ways, but it's a bit more than that as well. Um, but I feel some people are more tuned into themselves have a higher level of awareness of why they do what they do and how their behaviors are impacting others. Uh, most of us can learn it. Many of us can learn it. We can become aware of it. And that's the stage that most people get to. Mm. And I often find myself using this quote with my team or with my clients to say, you know, self-awareness without action leads to frustration. Yeah. Self-awareness without action is nothing. Mm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So many people get on this path on, you know, I want to become self-aware. And that's beautiful. That's a great start. But what after that? It's got to move from self to outside. Mm. Right. Uh, when I become aware of myself, how am I becoming aware of how my behavior is impacting others and how am I becoming aware of what's happening with you? And can I sense the onset? So yeah. recently we've created a new training program called Leading in a Hybrid World. You know, mm. one of our clients asked us to do that. And we created a model which clients are loving. And part of it is about this. It's about sensing the unsets. Mm-hmm. How many people, Daniel, do we know who, who are able to do that? 
you know, who are able to sense the onsets, you know, and mm. it takes a very high order of self-awareness, situational awareness, others' awareness to be able to be present and get that mm. and then do something about it. But that's what we need right now more than ever. Agreed. Right? Where, where people can't see each other, people are not meeting each other. Uh, you get on a Zoom call with somebody, heck, sometimes people don't even turn their camera on. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, it's about listening, it's about observing, it's about really receiving the person fully and completely. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a desire to want that too. Yeah. You think about the hustle and bustle of the the business world. And so you ask, we see, I mean, we work in the world of culture and leadership. Change is the is the place that we play a big part in. How do we help businesses and organisations go through large-scale change, whether it is within leadership or whether it is within a cultural program, whether it is in a digital project. We, you know, experts in that change space. So we work with a lot of leaders. Right. And a lot of leaders listen with the intent to respond hmm. more so than listening with the intent to understand. And I think that's, for me, the most critical piece is yeah. when you're, if you're self-aware, you you're listening with the intent to understand it. You're self-aware that there are others in the room who have great opinions. No, absolutely. In fact, I love that term. And let me share with you one of my favorite examples of helping people understand the impact because I'm an impact person. I'm, yeah. I'm not a person about, so yeah, self-awareness is a lot of the work that we do, but my real work is around, our real work is around how do you impact people, around yeah. you, right? Yeah. And when you talk about listening to understand and listening to respond, I I use the analogy of a loaded gun, yeah. right? Yeah. You is know, that the same one that your wife put? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why I shared that with you. I didn't, I didn't realize you've got such a good memory, man. Oh God, I wish you'd never meet Sandra. I'm just kidding. I, I, I do hope you get to meet her. But um, you know, very often as leaders, as people, as individuals, we are so hardwired and we, we're often like loaded guns, mm. right? And um, I use this example when I'm in a workshop uh, talking about this listening to understand, listening to respond. And I'm sharing this because listeners may be able to under get a perspective on this. Um, so imagine you're at work and you've had a terrible day at work. Just imagine, right? You've had a terrible day. Everything that had to go wrong has gone wrong. Your boss, your supervisor screamed at you. Your client is upset with you. Your best team member is quitting. Mm. Um, you missed a critical deadline. Yeah. There's an escalation. It's just been one of those shitty days, right? I'm sorry, can I use that word? Yeah. Okay, great. Absolutely. So it's just been one of those really terrible days. And, you know, the day ends and you're really looking forward to getting back home, right? So you sit in your car and you're still, you're still thinking about work and you start driving home. And now you're in this mode, you're saying, all right, I'm getting home. I've got to switch off work. I've got to start thinking about home. All right, what are we going to do for dinner? What's going to be happening? All right, my son Adam's home. Uh, my son Adam is five years old. I'm going to spend some time with Adam. So you're thinking this when you're driving. I'm going to have myself a nice glass of wine. I'm going to spend some time with my kid. Uh, what is Adam going to be doing now? It's five o'clock. Oh, I, I hope he's done his math homework. He didn't do it last time. And I, you know, the, the teacher spoke to me about it because his math is not good. Yeah, he's got to finish that. He's got his NAPLAN test coming up. Oh, did he do it? It's 5.50. Oh, I better check with him if he's done his math homework because math is really critical. Now, this is all I'm thinking, right? Math is really critical for him. Oh, okay. 
No, but I bet he's not doing it. He's I, he's playing Minecraft. I know he's playing Minecraft. <laughs> you know, you know, I've got to tell that boy. I've got to be a better parent. I've got to put some direction. And you're thinking all of this, all self talk, right? So you get home. So you're a loaded gun. Yeah. Because you've got all of this, you know exactly what you want to say to your son, right? You walk in his own Minecraft. Yeah. And you you <laughs> walk in, whatever your son is doing, regardless of that, you walk in. You put your bag down, you put your phone away, and your son comes running to you, right? Hugs your legs, right? And say, hey, dad, you know what? I had the best day in school ever. I did this, and we went for a race, and you're kind of ruffling his hair and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, you know, we did a race, and I came second in the race, and then we did this, then we did that. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the moment he stops to take a breath, you say these words, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, by the way, did you do your math homework? Mm. And you have lost it. Yeah. You have killed that moment mm. because you missed being present with your child in that moment when your child told you that they've come second in a race mm. yeah you just missed that moment because you were just waiting for an opportunity to say what you'd already decided you're going to say and therefore you're absolutely not present now imagine the impact of that behavior on that person. Mm. Now take it away from your child to your coworkers, to your colleagues, to your spouse, to your partners, right? So that's really the impact yeah. of not being present in a conversation, mm. really. Yeah. It's picking on the small things that don't matter really, isn't it? Well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So in that, you know, we've talked about storytelling, we've talked about self-awareness, we've talked about listening. But in that I'm hearing the story that we tell ourselves. Right? Like, you know, we make up scenarios in our head. Why do we do that? Why, why do, you know, on that drive home, why are we telling ourselves stories that almost don't, well, they don't exist. We make, it's based on assumptions mm. and it's based on previous experiences. Mm. How do we learn to live more in the moment? So on that drive home, you know, our mind's a blank canvas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the purpose of life, isn't it? Mm. To figure that out. <laughs> um, it's a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. But, you know, I learned this technique and it was one of the triggers for me to, me and Sandra to start Transform Me 10 years back. Um, so about 12 years back, I was heading global training for a large American IT company 12 years back. And uh, I was a different person back then. And my CEO, who I reported to, back then, sent me off to California to attend a nine-day leadership workshop. It was called Personal Mastery mm -hmm. by a company I hugely respect, LAL, Learning as Leadership. Nine-day program on Personal Mastery. I was like, wow, really? That's a lot. And I went there because my CEO said, you know, we send leaders to that program and they apparently come back transformed. I don't know what the hell these guys do, but I want you, you're my learning head. I want you to go and figure out what the hell these guys are doing and see if we can recreate that magic here. Mm. I said, all right, I'm your guy. I'll do, you know. And those were the times where, uh, you know, I'd started, a, a lot of ego had started creeping into my little head and uh, I had gotten a few promotions and stuff had happened. And I thought that, you know, I know leadership. I know personal mastery. So I went with this huge chip on my shoulder and within the first two, three days, all the chips were broken. Mm. Uh, I was there for nine days, Daniel. We were 70 people in a room from different parts of the world. 
uh, from CEOs to social workers and a huge bunch of people, 70 people. And there were 15 coaches. So first of all, I was not familiar with this format. 70 people in one room, 15 coaches. I was used to 20 people in one room and one trainer. Mm. And the trainer's got a slideshow. Yeah. There was no slideshow. There were 20 video cameras like these all around the room. Everybody's sitting. And there are 15 coaches. And there's conversations and there's challenges and there's conversations. And they're challenging you. They're calling you out. Mm. And you're speaking up. And you're breaking down. And then you speak and you break down. And you speak and you break down. And then after a point of time, you don't speak. You're just breaking down. Because you're just discovering so much about yourself that you never knew. Or you never went to. Right? Mm. So it was a deeply transformational process. And in that process, I learned as a, as a, as a recipient, it transformed me. I quit smoking. I was a smoker for 15 years of my life. Mm. Day three, I just quit smoking like that. Day five, I quit alcohol. I just quit alcohol. I started alcohol again when I moved to Australia, by the way. <laughs> I was like, all right, I've got to do some wines here. But Aussies will do that too. Yeah, but it's very different, right? Because now I just have that occasional drink maybe once, once in a while. But the point is that quitting smoking, quitting alcohol, starting to run, big decisions in my life. And I came back and I spoke to my CEO and I said, you know what? I'm quitting. I'm going to build this leadership academy, but we're going to quit. And uh, because I've just figured out what I want to do for the rest of my life. So that was actually the trigger for Transform Me. But the point I'm making is that I learned one of the techniques I learned there in addition to CBT, which you're perhaps familiar with, cognitive behavior therapy. I learned uh, principles of REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy by Dr. Albert Ellis. And I experienced that and I got so curious about it that I went deeper into it. I got enrolled in some courses on T-Group to understand that uh, human psychology and the question around why do we have these beliefs, right? Rational emotive behavior therapies. You know, it really boils down to the rational and irrational beliefs that we all hold and how they keep playing up. And the fact that many of us don't know how to challenge them mm. because we've never been taught. Mm. Right? And I personally believe that that needs to start coming up in the educational system as well. So we do all of this because of so many beliefs sitting in our head, which are sometimes so irrational but we just don't know how to challenge them. So when we do the work that we do, we get people to start challenging some of those beliefs like we've done for ourselves because that's what transformation is about. Yeah. How do you challenge those beliefs that you've been holding for 20 years without any basis and form new, more flexible, more empowering beliefs? So, yeah. How do we? Like, I mean, ah. uh, you know, I... I know that everyone's on a different journey. Yeah. Everyone's at different points. But where does the where where is a common start point for people who are looking to transform? Yeah. There's no short answer to this. But I can share one thing that's really helped me personally and helped a lot of my clients. And it's from a book called Shameless Happiness mm -hmm. by Will Ross. Shameless. Shameless Happiness. Happiness. By Isn't that a beautiful title? Brilliant. Yeah. Shameless Happiness by Will Ross. And the book is based on REBT, Rational Motor Behavior Therapy, yeah. like I spoke to you about. And it's an e-book, by the way. So any of the readers, uh, listeners listening in, you can just type it on. It's a free PDF download. Mm -hmm. Just about 20 pages and it's really good. What he talks about is... Um, to begin to challenge your beliefs and have more empowering beliefs and be more happier and so on and so forth. Um, 
What's the start point is what you asked me, Daniel. And the start point is one word, acceptance, mm. right? And he talks about very beautifully in his book, he talks about the three levels of acceptance, right? He says, unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional others' acceptance, un- unconditional world acceptance, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Powerful. Now, for example, in each of these, there are three statements or three beliefs that you've got to start inserting. Because what's a belief? It's basically a statement that you've written in your brain mm-hmm. with a permanent marker. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a belief. Correct. A belief is a statement that you've kind of picked up a permanent marker, shoved it through your ear into your brain and written that statement. You know, yeah. I am not good enough. Mm. Uh, I suck at relationships. Whatever you've written. Yeah. So these three levels of acceptances are new beliefs that you form or that you start telling, new stories that you're telling yourself, Mm. right? It's really that. For example, in unconditional, I don't remember all of them by heart, but in unconditional self-acceptance, one of the statements, one of the three statements that you've got to say to yourself, that you've got to tell the story is, and it's a statement, it goes something like this, um, I will make mistakes from time to time, but no, okay, let me tell you the other one that I just remembered. It says that uh, I am as good and as bad as anybody else in this world, hmm. and I accept myself for who I am, right? So that's one. Uh, unconditional others acceptance, the one that I love the most, <laughs> which I struggled to and still struggle to, is that... Um, People are going to mistreat me from time to time and break my trust from time to time. And that is life. Mm. Right? And I struggle with that even today, right? And unconditional world acceptance is, again, something about, you know, just accepting things. So um, to me, a good start point is to start reframing. Mm. Reframing. Because this language, say, yeah, because, you know... I, I use this analogy to tell people that, you know, a, a belief is a statement that you've written in your brain with a permanent marker and you can't erase it. You can only replace it. So if you want to let go of something, you'll get something else in and you got to keep reminding yourself of that. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's a bunch of other things that you need to do, but it is certainly possible. Yeah. Yeah. Can you iterate it instead of erase it? I suppose it's just improving the belief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I say improving, you have more knowledge, you have yeah. more experience, therefore yeah. your beliefs change slightly. Yeah. No, sorry, is that a question you're asking yeah. me? What's that? Is that so you said you can't erase it. Yeah. But you can iterate it. You can, of yeah. course. And that's my way of just using an analogy to help people understand that if you've identified a belief of yours that's holding you back, that's the first step for yeah. many of us are not even aware of a belief that's holding us back, right? Once you get aware of the belief, people are struggling with, okay, how do I get rid of this belief? How do mm. I get rid of this? And I ask them to ask themselves this question that what would you rather believe? Mm. Ask yourself that. Yeah. What would you rather want to write okay. in your head? You know, and, and, and can you then have rituals and processes to remind and iterate that for yourself? Mm. Ooh, powerful, powerful <laughs> stuff. We went a little deep there. <laughs> that's good. No, let's come back up the rabbit hole slightly. I, I, and, and we talk about leadership in this space then. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, again, we talk about storytelling, listening, 
um, self-awareness, the ability to lead in itself is a tough gig, Hmm. right? Because majority of it is working on yourself and then working on the ability to seek outcomes and hold people accountable and all the above. What is your thoughts on what is the most challenging thing towards leaders today? Sorry, let me rephrase that. What is your thoughts on the most challenging, challenging, challenging aspects of leadership that leaders face today? Loneliness, mm. which drives everything else, yeah, and a lot of it. Loneliness, mm, it does. not having the right advisors, not having the right mentors, coaches, not having enough people that you can speak to, or thinking all of the above, uh, is one of the biggest challenges of leadership. The belief that I'm out here alone, and I need to solve for this by myself, and that pressure that we put on ourselves. And by the way, uh, make no mistake in saying all of this, I am struggling as a leader in many realms of my own leadership on a daily basis, right? And I'm I'm experimenting, I'm taking risks, I'm succeeding, I'm failing. All of that is happening, right? Um, but because of the process that I that I that I go through, I, you know, for me, it's and the number of people that I've spoken to and coached, I think it's really about wanting to solve for everything, wanting to do everything. I, I speak to leaders and they're saying, I don't have the time and, you know, it's just too much pressure and, you know, I really can't change at this point of time. And this, this, there's so much of that resistance that's mm. coming from that sense of being by yourself, right? Um, so that to me is one big one. Again, I, again, I think it's a story that you tell yourself, right? I, I um, I had a profound moment not long ago within my own business. We're, we're growing at a quite a, a rapid rate, which is exciting. Awesome. And think, you know, things are things are going well, and the podcast is going well, and all the above, right? But it, but my mindset still hasn't caught up from four years ago when we set up the business. You know, it's you like mean. Daniel does everything. There's no one else to do it. I just have to do everything. And you know, I've got my business partner Michelle, so it's Daniel and Michelle do everything. We just this is how we get it done right and now all of a sudden we've got some you know really amazing people in at the in, in certain skill sets which are far superior than mine but yet there's this element of me thinking i still have to do everything and it was uh we're sitting in in the other room uh probably a couple of weeks back and um you know talking strategy you know some high level conversation and I almost started freaking out, thinking like, "How, how are we going to get all this done?" <laughs> There's so much. Like, you know, who's going to be doing this? <laughs> yeah, like it, it was all in my. It's a good plan. Yeah, who's doing it. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, it was you know the anxiety creeping in is like this is a lot to do. How how? And then it wasn't until everyone in the room just sat back like, "Dan, we're here. Yeah, we're here for you. Like, yeah, we're here to help you. Like, yeah. wait, this is this is." And it was like it just knocked me for six, but in a really good way. It was like, "Huh, yeah." Yes, you're right. Right. And you're probably better doing it than me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not and and so I put this story in myself that I was lonely and you That's know it. and I was the one that had to do it all. And it, it was just take the blinkers off almost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I understand the loneliness piece because there's this element that you don't want to share too much. You don't want to 
get too emotional you don't want to become too vulnerable you don't you know all these sort of things which then go well i've actually then got no one to speak to yeah so what how do you combat that as a leader I know you are, and I know we are huge fans of Brene Brown yeah. and the work that she's done and the work that she does. For me and for us, Daniel, the the key is to uh, help leaders to become more more authentic about who they are. Mm. Right. Um, so I'll try to connect the dots here. What does that loneliness do? So we're looking at loneliness from a position of sadness, perhaps, but loneliness also leads to a sense of ego. Mm. And that's what I want to talk about because uh, feeling that leaders, feeling that they have to do it by themselves and I'm in it alone and I'm doing this, and that's where the ego starts creeping in. That's where it starts becoming that I. Right? Mm. That's number one. Yeah. Um, and when it starts becoming that I, I go back to that one statement that I said, my driver, how does my behavior impact others? That starts changing. That mm. I'm a leader who's operating a lot from that eye. And I'm not aware of how my behavior is impacting the people around me. Right? And I start creating that culture. Right? Um, and that's when it starts get, getting kind of messy for, 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 for many leaders. Uh, but... The key really is helping leaders become more authentic in the way they think of themselves and the way they operate and the way they behave and the way they have conversations. So asking for help, for example, hmm. you know, such a beautiful thing, asking for help. Often when I'm coaching, I ask people, I said, when is the last time you asked somebody for help as a leader, authentically? When is that? And help is not, hey, I need this report done by tomorrow. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You know what I mean, right? I know. And when I ask this question, I often draw a blank from many leaders' faces, right? So you don't, right? So when is the last time you had a neck down conversation with your people? So when we do our labs, we talk about neck up conversations and neck down conversations. And you know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Neck up conversations is all transactional, all cognitive. Neck down is really connecting, truly connecting. Mm -hmm. How often did you do that? How often did you ask people for feedback on you? Mm. Like, what do you mean? I get feedback. I say, yeah, you get feedback, but you ask for it, mm -hmm. right? You don't. I, have you walked up to a team member and say, hey, you know, I want to have a chat with you. Sit down. You know, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to improve, right? Can you tell me how you're experiencing me? Have you ever done that, right? So, these are aspects, and you rightly said it, it's about, you know, building that muscle of uh, authenticity and vulnerability and seeing that vulnerability as a strength. It's about seeking rather than getting. Mm. It's about taking action, right? Correct. It's not about waiting for feedback to come my way. So, and, you know, so often when we're doing a Transform Me Lab, we sit down and people start having conversation and start sharing either feedback or start deep diving and they just break down because they know it. Mm. They know it, right? And it's just, it's been there. It just comes up to the surface. Mm. And that's the other thing. How often do you release? Yeah. Right? 
So everyone needs a release valve. Absolutely. So mm. it's a, it's a bunch of those things, really, Daniel. Right. The what, what I mean, what you said there again comes back a lot to your own personal self development. Yeah. And you would see it time and time again, and you say you're drawing blanks from these leaders. And not being able to respond. They haven't asked themselves these questions. They haven't asked their team these questions. They haven't even thought about asking their team these questions. Big thing, this is a, this is a big reason why I got into business. And I, I, I remember it very clearly. It was one of, I was working for an, uh, um, an organization and we had an external consultant that came in to do a big piece of work who is now my business partner. <laughs> ah. And I remember when we were having our first conversations, my frustration was the lack of desire for leaders to want to improve themselves mm. so that they could lead people. Yeah. I was infuriated yeah how do people get in these leadership positions when they don't even work like they just clearly don't know how to lead people what just because they're technically great and i think that for me it struck a big chord because i consider myself a generalist sure. more so than a specialist right and so i was really frustrated thinking i can get shit done i can make things move i can bring people on for a journey these people are so caught up in themselves and it was really, I was really sort of outspoken about it. So I guess the question I'm asking them, you here is how do we help people who are in leadership roles, who have been promoted because they're technically great at their role and or they've, you know, they've fallen into a leadership position because there's no one else around or they've served the most years or whatever it might be, how do we help them understand that they are now leading people and need to understand self first. It's like, you know, when you're in the airplane, the airplane's going down, put the gas mask, put this on the gas mask, put the, <laughs> put the oxygen mask. Uh, hold it on the <laughs> gas mask, right? Yeah. Put the os oxygen mask on their face yeah. first, right? right? Protect one. Before. Before. before helping the others. Helping yeah. the others because yeah. you can only help others if you understand what it is, you know. And, and how do we help that message get out there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a and that's a question that we've struggled with as mm. well, and that's a question that I think many of us uh, focus on. A couple of views on that, not not really an answer. A couple of views on that. One, I've reached a point, Daniel, where I've realized that you can't really help people who don't want to be helped. Mm. <laughs> right and uh, that's the, the lesson that's taken the longest to learn for me i i agree and mm. and for me as well and i'm still learning it i mean i still try to <clears throat> you know sometimes sandra and i or vivek and i or my colleagues and i were talking you know how do we do this how do we explain to him that you know this leader's got to then we got to take a step back and say look we, we don't have to do anything mm. right so that's part of it but the other thing is uh we've taken it upon ourselves to become catalysts. That's the word. So transform me. Yes. We, we've taken it upon ourselves to be catalysts in that process. And we do that with our clients. So the, the question you're asking me is often questions that 
uh, in different ways opposed to us by CEOs of companies who yeah. are getting frustrated with how they're seeing their leaders be. And if they are in a space of better awareness, then it's a similar conversation that how do I get my leaders to realize that, you know, it's not about them and they need to do this, yada, yada, yada. And we say to them, look, we can't, we can't do that. We can't get your horse to the water. Right. Right. You know what I mean? But here's what you can, we can do. We can get them interested in a process. Mm. We can get them together and we can show them the mirror. Mm. And we can shake them up. We can do that. We can show them the mirror, we can shake them up and we can do it in a sensitive manner. Mm. Because that's our skill. That's the process that we follow. So we can show them the mirror, we can shake them up and we can do that with sensitivity. What that means is we can take them through a process of a lab where you get them in. Don't tell them much about what's happening. We'll take it from there. It's about the here and now experience, helping them see how their behavior is impacting others mm. and how they are coming across and really show them the mirror and shake them up. But we'll do it gently. Mm. Or if you tell us, we will not do it gently. <laughs> Which means we will do our diagnostics and we'll get a sense of how ready your team is to go deep, to be challenged. And if we feel they're not, we'll be quite gentle. If we feel they are, we'll push. So we use techniques like pushing, cajoling, driving, encouraging, mm. uh, infuriating mm. to get people's real selves out and then put it up on a plate for them to explore and say, all right, what do you want to do about this? 80% mm. of the people would get on the bandwagon and say, all right, I want to fix this. So that's a catalyst. 20%? No, nah. they're not ready. And that's fine. And that's fine. That's that's what they choose for the themselves. The seed's been planted though. Yeah, the seed's been planted. Maybe they do it, maybe they don't. Maybe they're at the stage in their life where they don't, you know, where they don't feel it's worth the effort and the investment to go through that change. And that's fine as well. Yeah. But for us, it's really been looking at it as being catalyst to that process. Mm. And that's what we tell people because that's the most that you can do. This might sound like the strangest question you've ever been asked, but what does the mirror look like? <laughs> <laughs> my mirror well the mirror that you're showing these people what ah. what and you know the, the obvious answer is their own reflection but <laughs> what is when you say we hold the mirror up to them what does that mean what does that mean <sighs> so i'll have to explain the entire process of our transform me labs to you but really what we do um daniel is um we work with a group of leaders, a group of people really, not leaders, um, for a day or two in what we call unstructured group process work, which means there's no agenda other than helping them become better, simple. Mm -hmm. There's no slides, zero slides. There's no laptops, there's nothing. There's no table, there's no chairs. Uh, there's only chairs, <laughs> chairs. But we actually done it without chairs sitting on the ground as well. But. Um, we don't do role plays, we do real plays. Okay. Which means we ask people, what's happening with you right now? Why are you looking at this person like this? Oh, okay, he said something and I saw smoke there. What's happening there? You want to talk about it? So he says, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. Okay, so you want to run away from this as well? How is that working out for you? He may get angry and say, you know, what do you mean? How do you speak to me like that? And say, okay, so how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling pissed off. Okay, I'm glad to hear you expressing your emotions for the first time and let's talk more about that. So it's it's a process. It's really a process that 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 
unpeels the layers. You're poking the bear, right? Uh, and and some, that, that's one technique that yeah. we use, but sometimes we use a lot of empathy as well. Mm. Um, the skill that we have is, I spoke about the listening, the receiving, the observing, and therefore the skill that we've developed over these years is the ability to sense what is likely to work for somebody. Mm. Would pushing work for this person? Would encouragement work? Would empathy work? And then using that and uh, leveraging that, mm. using the strength of the group mm. and getting them to express, getting them to experiment. And once they've got to a place where they've said that, oh, okay, yeah, I struggle with my anger, oh, let's experiment. You know, who are you feeling angry with right now? Here and now, for real, no role plays. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling upset with Joe there. All right. Mm. Let's facilitate that concert. It's very, very real. And uh, sometimes when we tell our clients about this, they say, you know, that sounds like, uh, you know, that sounds like a ticking time bomb kind of a thing. I'm like, mm. no, not at all. Because we know how to temper it down, how to take it up. We've never in the last 10 years had a situation because, you know, people get it. Mm. Eight out of 10 people get it. So yeah, that's, that's what the mirror would look like, right? We've had situations where people have uh, leaders, two leaders, Daniel, who have not been speaking to each other properly for the last three years because of an email one of them wrote to the other three years <laughs> back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Resentment's a horrible thing. Absolutely. And they hadn't done what we call closing the loop. Mm. And then just creating that safe space for them to have that dialogue and closing the loop changes everything for this organization and the two teams. Literally changes everything. For them. Mm. Now that's powerful self-work that people can do yeah. if they just get that trigger. They don't need everything. They don't need people to take them to the end. You, you often need just that catalyst. Yeah. And the rest you've got it. Yeah. Is there a difference between leadership transformation and personal transformation? Not at all. Not at all. Mm. In my view, there's nothing, no difference at all. One leads to the other. One feeds from the other. Every person is a leader. You're not a leader by a title, first of all. So everybody's a leader. Mm. And everything starts from yourself. We call ourselves transform me, not transform you, because yeah. it's it's all from within. So personal yeah. transformation is that even storytelling is about personal. It's about the stories you tell yourself. Mm. I have this quote that I say that the stories you tell yourself are the stories that stop you from telling the stories you must. Yeah. So even there, it's about personal transformation. So absolutely the same. What does transformation mean to you? Like, so, if, if you're going through working with a group of leaders, you're working with a team, you're doing your own self-work, whatever it might be, is transformation this big, huge light bulb moment or is it an iterative process? You know, because when... And rightly so, when you, people think of transformation, they think of the caterpillar turned butterfly, right? Like it's this beautiful movement that's, and, and change that is so elegant. But what's going on in that cocoon is not so elegant, right? And, and I think that's the, um, the question I'm asking is, can you be transformed over time or is it these light bulb moments? You know, like when you went to the, coaching course and you the nine-day right. course and you came away different is that what people search for 
So I'm going to share my take on this, mm. right? And evolution is a slow process over a period of time, the impact of which is felt very differently. Mm. So we all evolve, right? And transformation for me is about the impact that gets created, right? Evolution is about progression. Yeah. Transformation is really about the impact on yourself, on people around you, right? So it's it's definitely larger to my mind. Mm. But it doesn't need to be larger in the way it's done. I'm sure you've heard of or read Atomic Habits. Yeah. Lovely book, right? Great concept. I've read part of it. Sandra swears by it. Um, and those habits, those rituals, those tiny shifts can lead to big transformation as well. Um so transformation, for, yeah, the word transform literally means altering shape. That's what it literally mm. means, right? Altering shape. Um, and for us, transformation is about altering the shape of your cognitive, emotive being, right? So we all know about neuroplasticity. We can change the way we are wired and you know our, our brain functions, the way we behave. That's transformation. Somebody who is... Um, Somebody who's afraid, petrified of public speaking and suddenly goes up and makes a good talk, not suddenly, over a period of time is able to make a great talk, that's transformation. Mm. Um, a person who uh, has been scared of having challenging conversations with people becomes the CEO of a company and now needs to fire people or hire people and have tough conversations and is able to do that, that's transformation. Because you're changing the very being of what you believed you are, you can be, or cannot be. And when you shift that, that's transformation for yeah. me, right? Um, do people want that? I don't know. Some do. Mm. Some do. Uh, but very few are willing to invest or take the step. Mm. And when I say invest, I don't mean money. I mean the energy. Because yeah. it takes a fair bit of energy to do that, right? So, and yeah. there's a bit of fear about it. As well. a huge time that's a great yeah. point that's a great point big time fear about you know what if i do this and i fail i'm not even good at what i do already so well how does that work out for me and stuff like that mm. yeah yeah you mentioned earlier that for transformation to take place where you alluded to for transformation to take place you have to be invested you have to be you have to be passionate about it. I can't remember the exact word you used. There has to be an element of desire for the transformation to take sure, place. Sure, sure. And commonly in the world right now, and we would all know many people who are living like this, and you know they've got a great job, beautiful home, great friends, but just going through the motions, right? Yeah. Coming home, having dinner, watching some Netflix, Groundhog Day, rinse, repeat. <laughs> and there's not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but it's when the comments that come from those people towards me, and I'm speaking of conversations that I have, and I can only speak of this, right. is where they go, oh, I'm just, I'm bored. Yeah. I'm not connected. Yeah. I'm not getting what I need. Um. So I guess the question is, when you talk about transformation, does it need to be a job? Can it be hobbies? Can it be... Beautiful question. I love that. Yeah. Like, what, what does that look like? I'm going to share with you one 
word that I love connected to what you said, and that's my view on what it looks like, and that is two words: <laughs> active experimentation. Mm. Active experimentation. What do we enjoy as kids? Mm. Different things. Experimenting. an active experimentation means the act of seeking those experiments right mm. people who are living unfulfilled lives and not sure what they want to do and um i consider myself fortunate and blessed when i say that there's nothing else that i'd rather do in my life right for the rest of my life really and uh as i think this chat with my daughter who's 16 now and she was 13 when we just moved to australia and you know talking about what she wanted to do in life and she wasn't sure as any teenager would be and uh, you know in the conversation I ended up saying something to her and she really loved it she wrote it down she said I'm going to keep it and then she wrote it down and she made a nice little placard for me and the statement I said to her in the moment and I said this I said experiment with your passions to discover your purpose mm. experiment with your passions to discover your purpose it's beautiful yeah because you don't know what so people who live feeling unfulfilled the question i'd ask them is what's your passion they say you know what how does it make a difference i like playing the guitar i say okay when was the last time you did it ah 3 years back okay do it again no but i can't be i'm an under ceo of a company you want me to stand on run the mall and play the guitar and get some money or do what 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 are you asking me to do i just play it to see what comes up to you because when you're in that state what comes to you is very different mm. what else did you like to do Oh I used to like doing this I went to the last time experiment experiment with your passions and even beyond that mm. I was coaching somebody the other day not coaching we were in a group lab this is back in India recently I went there I went there after two and a half years by the way because yeah long time and this lady recently promoted into a vice president level or something and in the lab she's talking about you know I'm the people i was friends with were my colleagues and now become i've become a vice president mm. so they're not my friends anymore and the people who are vice presidents are not my friends so i'm just feeling so lonely mm. because i don't have any friends mm. and i asked her this question i said when is the last time you made a new friend 35 years old she said in college <laughs> i said wow when is the last time you made a friend right so experiment active experimentation so for people who are looking for purpose looking for more fulfillment experiment with your passions mm. that's a good start and then experiment with other things yeah so that's the key i reckon look i'm case in point for that right i run a podcast that's so true actually yeah. that is so true man i run a business and a podcast you're right <laughs> the podcast awesome. <laughs> The podcast for me was really Actually this is a great example. Yeah. You're right. Was asking the question, what do I love doing? And I love learning. I love talking. I love sharing experiences. The only thing missing from this conversation is maybe a glass of wine. Uh, um <laughs> but what? I thought you're getting something here. <laughs> okay. Um and so I started experimenting with it. Yeah. You know, I went out and bought the all the equipment and it sat on the shelf and I didn't do anything and it wasn't until we hired Gabriella as part of the team that we said hey Gabs can you look into this for us and she set it all up beautiful right and 
there's an element of me that goes, you know, I could have done that myself and whatnot and, you know, I shouldn't have to rely on someone else. But I think the point is that just the action of buying it started the, the process, right? True. Just went out and bought. And the first, if you listen back, the first episodes are horrible. <laughs> like that, like <laughs> from my interview style, the, the topic of conversations, my approach to it, I feel like I've grown in, in time and you learn along the way. And so when people say, yeah, I'm going to go back to listen to the first. No, don't listen to the first. <laughs> listen to the last ones. And how, long, how long has it been uh, for you? We, I think we've done, what, 70 or 80 episodes now. So it's been about two years wow. that we've been running this now. Wow. Which is, um, so it's, it's got some legs, which is really great. Yeah. The, um, I think the point is that even within... And I'm passionate about business. So even though I'm running my own, you know, world in, in, in the business sense, I still have time for passion projects. Yeah. yeah. And in, in, in fact, it's actually complemented the business so beautifully. Yeah. Because we're connecting with great people and we're learning and we're working together and we're building networks. And, and you're having fun and having doing fun it. with it. Yeah. 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 So. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Man. Good on you. I'm just conscious of time. I just want to know what, what, and before we jump into the quick fire questions, one last question: like, what is, what has transformed me? Like your business transformed me. What makes, what makes that world? What makes your heart sing about the world that work that you're doing? Because you said, "I love what I do. I can't see myself doing anything. I can't see myself doing anything else." I'm passionate about what I do. This is my purpose. You've said all that throughout this conversation. But what is it? I'll tell you. You alluded to that example a while back about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Mm. Everybody's heard that story. We've seen visuals. How many people have seen that process live? Yeah, not many. How many people have actually seen a caterpillar become a cocoon, go through that process and become a butterfly. Few people would have, very few people. That's what fills my soul. Every single day being able to be part of that journey and being able to see that. Mm. And seeing that for others because I started by saying to you that that's what my driver is enabling people and I've chosen this as my vehicle to mm. enable and help people and being able to see that transformation and be a small part of that process and be one of the few people who can actually see that, mm. that's, what, that's what feeds our soul. For, and that's true for each one of us. I think that's, you know, it's so silly. <laughs> we were talking about it in our team meeting the other day. Um, we signed a new contract with a client and there are a few hoots and people say, yeah, woo. And one of us gets a testimonial from a client who's crying in the video and says, you've changed my life, you've changed my team's life. And we celebrate that for 30 minutes. Mm. That for us is a real moment of celebration. Mm. So yeah. 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 Impact. Impact. Absolutely. Impact. I love it. Beautiful. We're going to jump into some quick fire questions, which cannot be, <laughs> they, they don't generally go quick fire, but we this is scary. We'll work on it. Oh, they're, they're, All right. I'm ready. Brace yourself. They're not that good. Okay. They're, they're just... Uh, I like to use this as a way of just getting into the inner workings of the brain. But the very first few are very basic. So what are you reading right now? 
You, you've mentioned a whole bunch of books and we'll put them in the show notes, but what are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading Ayakoka, nice. Lee Ayakoka's yeah. autobiography, yeah. Uh, Chrysler. I've read that. And uh, I'm halfway through and I'm loving it. But I have to tell you this, this year I started off uh, getting back to my, so we, did a, we do a vision board exercise. Mm-hmm. Sandra started that exercise for our family. All four of us sit down on New Year's and create a vision board. And the mind was to read a book every month. Um, January, I read four books. Wow. Well February, I read three. So it's coming down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm getting to that one, but I started off very good. So I read. As long as you meet your quota. What's that? <laughs> as long as you meet your quota of oh, 12 yeah, for the year. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I loved Shoe Dog uh, by Phil Knight. Oh. I just loved it. I love Green Lights by yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that was good. Oh, that is really good. Um, there's Will, so many. Have you read Will? Oh, I read Will as yeah. well. I found Will Will was nice, but I preferred Green Lights. Oh, did you? As a uh, as an autobiography. Did you listen to it or did no, you? No, I read it. I didn't do the audio. Okay, so Will's it. audio is brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant. It's a great story. It's it a is. great. I mean, it's yeah. it's wonderful. His own assessment yeah. of his life and his family and his wife and it's actually, beautiful. Actually, McConaughey's Green Lights audio is amazing too. Would be because yeah. I've heard a lot more about his audio than yeah. than Will. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. I'm reading uh, Will. Uh, I'm reading this one. Sorry, Iacocca, and I've already got uh, Sam Walton's autobiography on the side oh. as the next one. I, I don't know. This year, I just feel like reading autobiographies. Yeah. I also ran uh, read uh, Elon Musk's biography. What's it yeah. called now? The uh, Ashley Vance one is that the yeah the Ashley Vance one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I forget the name. Yeah. What it's called? But Musk. It it's just Musk yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that. So yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. Brilliant. Yeah. What's one self-development book? And let's target this towards becoming a better leader. What's one self-development book that you could recommend? You know, one name comes instantly to mind, but it's an old book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Mm. People. The classic. uh, It's just so easy to implement. Mm. It's just so easy to implement those seven habits and the impact that they can create for you can be phenomenal. Yeah. Especially the circle of influence and circle of concern. For me, that's yeah. really powerful. So I'd say that one. Yeah, yeah. That's my go-to. Yeah. Habit six. Was that? Habit six. Ha- I see that right there. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, we're very much, I'm a big yeah, yeah, seven yeah, yeah, habits yeah. fan. Yeah. I think it's the book that really was fundamental in my own growth. Yeah. And personal development. And, and you know, like we alluded to before, the putting the mask on yourself first, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, and while you were talking, I just realized even good to great. Yeah. From Collins, that was great. Yeah. That is brilliant. And um, obviously Simon Sinek, start with the why. So these would be the, maybe the three top ones for mm. me. Yeah. Beautiful. Do you listen to any other podcasts or anything? Is it? Like actually, other than this one, obviously. I don't actually. No, no I don't. Okay. But I want to get onto it. Yeah. There's some really great it. ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll recommend a few later. Sure. Uh, what's we actually we we topped it. You said you're a Brene Brown fan, and we we talked about this earlier, but I'll ask it again. What's one lesson that is taking you the longest to learn? Ah. So earlier we said I can never change people then it's my need to change people. Yeah, that's right. That's what yeah. we need to. It's, I can never change people when it's my need to change people. And I think that's, it's not taken longer. I, I think I'm still learning that. I don't think I've completely uh, crossed that bridge. I still get uh, into that mode sometimes. But yeah, I think that's the one. Is it because you can see the forest from the trees? 
and you just want what's best for these people. And you're just yeah, like, oh, I, I think so. I want you to hurry up and get there. I think like, so. <laughs> I think so. You said it right. I think mm. that's what it is. I think it's uh, it's about this belief, right? And our mission is that we believe that everybody's gotten in, got it in them to be the best versions of themselves. Mm. And when you can see that and when you see that others can't see that, mm. and, you know, I get frustrated sometimes. I just want to move the wall out of your way. Like yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. But I've worked a fair bit on it. So it's a lesson that I've, Learned, but Ooh, it's one that still, I'm still grappling still with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. If you could invite three people to dinner, and we're going to assume that Sandra and your kids are already there, so three people, yeah, to to dinner, who would they be together? Yeah. Ah, oh, I'd love to have my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not with Elon Musk. That would be a weird combination, <laughs> right? It might be. But, it, it might make a good yeah, dinner story, it though. It won't make a good dinner story, right? <laughs> I, or maybe it would. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know. So, yeah, no, I want to answer it together. I'd say three people I'd love to have dinner with separately Dad, yeah. uh, Musk. Um, yeah. Just these two, actually. Mm-hmm. Just these two that I'd really like to have a conversation over dinner with. Yeah. Musk is uh, is on my list as well. He, yeah, is he? Just yeah. The, like he's eccentric and yeah, strange and but just doing things that are changing. Impact. Yeah, it's, when you talk about him, yeah, it's just amazing. Mm. And if you if you if you and you've obviously read about his backstory as a child and yeah, oh, that's transformation. Mm. That's beautiful. So yeah, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Oh, I think I shared that with you. Um, I, it's definitely this one. I keep reminding myself, well, you want to take a decision, listen to everybody, but do your shit. Yeah. Do what your heart tells you. Just listen to your listen to your inner voice more than you listen to the outer voices. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. If you had a time machine, where would you go? <laughs> Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies, yeah. by the way. That's why I asked that question. (laughs) I would love to relive my teenage years. I would love to relive my teenage years. I'd love to relive the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to relive that music and that time. And yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not coming up with a great, I'm going to change the world kind of thing. Yeah. But I'd love to relive. I'd love to relive my own childhood. Yeah. So Connor. Asked me he, I, oh, when I shit. asked him. He, <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> but I'm thinking this could make its way into the quick questions because it was actually quite. Um, it was. I thought it was a great question. So, if your house is on fire, and your family and your kids and your pets are all safe outside, what's the one thing you would run back inside for? Easy. My dad's photograph. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a good question. I'm gonna. I think I'm yeah. gonna add that one. It's actually a good question. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Connor. If you had <laughs> one superhero power, what would it be? The ability. To shift others' emotions on command. <laughs> oh, you're sad. Zing! <laughs> oh, what's happening? You're getting angry. Zing! 
<laughs> right? So I got this, I got this hand thing going you on. Are, I just point at like, the person. Iron right? Man. Uh, yeah, that like. kind of a thing. Yeah, I want to do that because I like that. I like that. I like that pose. And then I'm going to, oops, sorry. I got you to anger. I've got to get you to a little bit of frustration. There you go. There it is. Perfect. I got you where yeah, you need. That's, that's coming back to your your uh, lesson that's long taking you the yeah, longest to learn. That's yeah, yeah. Do you need a shield or a cape for anything? For that? <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind the Doctor Strange kind of a thing <laughs> yeah. doing that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And last but not least, tell us your best dad joke. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Um, I don't know about dad jokes. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll try and do a, a knock-knock. Done. Right? Let's do okay, knock let's knock. do a knock-knock. Um. Hang on, let me get this right, all right? I'm, I always mess this up. I always mess this up. Okay. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting Carl. Interrupting Carl. Ca- <laughs> <laughs> I knew gotcha. that was coming. <laughs> oh, my daughter does this with me. She's so much better than me. Well done. Add this, add this. Thank you. Thank Very you. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today, Gadik. It's, uh, it's been wonderful. It's been a deep conversation. We yeah. went through into all these different nooks and crannies and, and just really appreciate your... I think advice and, and obviously mentorship in that space, um, you, uh, you are making an impact in, in people's lives and something you should be very proud of. And, and your story is great and your ability to tell a story is, is profound. Something who knows a little bit about storytelling, I kind of break up the way you go about it and I love it. And I'm still not there yet and it's something that maybe I could pick your brain about moving forward. 100%, well. happy to help, happy to help. Uh, where can we find you? Where, where can people get in contact with you? Yeah, LinkedIn's the best source, I reckon. So um, just type in my name and uh, shouldn't be too many uh, people with the same first name, last name combination. Yeah, so Gatik, G-A-T-I-K, G-A-T-I-K-C-H-A-U-J-E-R. Beautiful. Yeah. And the business is Transform Me. Check them out. They're doing some wonderful things. I know you got your YouTube page and a few hits on there as well. So uh, check it out. And uh, if you want to get in touch, reach out to Gatik. But other than that, Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for having me over. No worries. See See you guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate, and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.